Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? It is Matt Perino, joined as always by Ryan Talbot, and it is our final 2021 Bills season Shout Buffalo football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Listen, I know there is a lot of hurt and a lot of pain going around in Bills Mafia this week. It was, we're going to talk a ton about it. Uh, you know, seeing Brandon Bean talk today, the emotion that he kind of started his press conference off with. It's really one of those weeks where it's probably hard to go to work every day, and I get it. But there is still good days ahead for, I think, this Bills franchise, this particular Bills team. And I know it's going to look a lot different next year, but you know, the one key point that I thought Brandon Bean was on the money with today was, you know, at the end of the day, you still have Josh Allen. And I think he proved more than you know anything else in this playoffs that he's a top-tier quarterback, the Bills are going to be contenders for as long as they have him. And that's a good place. And so if you think about some of those positive thoughts and the fact that, you know, maybe there will be some celebration in your future, whether you're doing it at home or away, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. We have a ton to get to, Ryan Talbot, tonight. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. You're right. You know, uh, the media got to speak with Brandon Bean today. He had a lot of good things to say and a lot to dive into. We're going to be live every week. Uh, we're not taking any weeks off. Probably going to take a couple of days off after this show. I'm not going to lie. But we'll be back next Wednesday. Uh, and then we'll start to kind of tiptoe our way toward some of the uh, off-season coverage. I will be at the Combine. Uh, so we will have you covered for the draft. And it's going to give us a couple uh, weeks to to really dive into you know, the free agent field, the draft field. But one of the big things, talking points from Brandon today, was there a step back in 2021 for the Bills? And, you know, I thought Brandon Bean, the way he approached the question was interesting because he said, listen, if, if we play, here's the quote, if we played the, the Chiefs 10 times, it's probably five to five. Um, the Bills, you know, almost it came 13 seconds away from beating the Chiefs twice in their place this season. So I think from that perspective and what he's arguing is, is the Bills did you know, take a step forward this year. And the fact that they were much more competitive with the chiefs, they beat them in week five 
albeit uh, not the full Chiefs roster. But, uh, you know, I, I could see that to a degree. But where they end the season, Ryan, with a loss to the same team again, one round earlier, facing an offseason with tons of questions about the roster, how it's constructed, you know, defensively, which is supposed to be Sean McDermott's specialty or, you know, where he has all of ex- his experience, you know, it, it kind of tends to add to the angst, I think, for Bills fans is how far is the gap between the teams? Has it been closed? And what do they have to do to maybe get in this position again next season and be more su- successful? You know, the gap is absolutely closed. There's, there's no denying that you win by 18 in the regular season. You're up with 13 seconds to go in the playoffs. Uh, whereas last year in that playoff matchup, you didn't, you couldn't hang with that team and you can absolutely hang with them now. So you've closed the gaps on Kansas City. The problem is there, there's still, you know, 30 other teams besides the Bills and, and the Chiefs in the NFL. And it's not always going to be Kansas City as good as Patrick Mahomes is, as good as Josh Allen is. There's Joe Burrow and the Bengals that I, I think are going to be a contender more more times than not. There, there's still Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I think there's a lot of talent there. Lamar Jackson had a down year, and but the Ravens were still a kind of uh, knocking on the door. That's just the AFC. And then obviously the NFC, you have some quarterbacks that could move in the offseason from NFC to AFC. Aaron Rodgers, I, I believe if I read correctly, the highest betting odds for him to join the Broncos. So this conference, the NFL, it doesn't get easier any year, uh, but I get where he's coming from. I might say there was the tiniest step back this year, or maybe I would say they stayed in the same spot just because when you look back at this season, I I think fans are going to sit there and say, man, the Bills really should have been the one seed in in the AFC. They, They stumble against Jacksonville. They, they can't get that one yard against the Titans. There are all those games, those what ifs. If, a, you know, one or two of those games turns around or goes a different way, the Bills are the one seed. They're hosting the Chiefs in the divisional round or maybe a different team. If they're the, Obviously, they'd be hosting actually the Bengals if they were the one seed in that scenario. Uh, but maybe they would be hosting Kansas City this weekend and it would be a little bit different in uh, Orchard Park than it would be at Arrowhead Stadium. I don't want to sit here and say it was a colossal step back. I might even just say that it's it's about the same. They closed the gap on Kansas City, but there's other teams coming. There's definitely other teams coming and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see like we're 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 following the Brian Dable, Leslie Frazier potential hiring process here. You know, he Brian Dable early in the week uh, emerged as the favorite for the Giants job. I saw a report out there tonight before we went live that now he's the favorite for the Miami Dolphins job. They're they're making a late push for them. And I know that, you know, the Giants are bringing in Leslie Frazier to interview on Friday. Brian Flores, the former Miami Dolphins coach, to hire Thursday. And from that perspective, things are going to change so much within the own structure of the Bills. Like, you know, you know, no matter what turnover there is on the roster, and I think that there's a confidence level that, you know, this roster is strong enough and the, the elite players are elite enough to where you could probably make changes there and you'll still be in a pretty good spot. But there's there might be a little bit of, you know, uh, kinks to get worked out here with a new offensive play caller for Josh, who's gotten so used to what life has been like with um, Brian Dable. Yeah, absolutely. Going to your point on Brian Dable, listen. You know, he's the talk of the town right now. The Giants want him. The Dolphins want him. Uh, he had an interview with the Chicago Bears. I know he's not the favorite there, but even uh, the son of Walter Payton was 
after the the Bills Chiefs game said Brian Dable, something like that. That's the tweet or something like that about like he wants him for the Bears uh, and to work with Justin Fields. So there are there are teams that want him. There are fan bases that want this guy. Uh, I fully anticipate that he is going to be out the door. And uh, to your you know to your talking point, is Dorsey a no brainer for offensive coordinator if Brian Dable leaves? I, I think so. I think it's 100% a no-brainer. Now, mind you, there's been a lot of reports. I don't know how legitimate, how accurate they are. They've been from verified accounts that uh, he might want to go with Brian Dable, which wouldn't make much sense to me because I think Dable would be heavily involved in calling the offensive plays. But Dorsey makes a lot of sense because he's been with Josh Allen. He's been here for the development. He knows the offense. He knows what works well for Josh. He knows a lot of the the skill players on this team. Uh, So in my opinion, yes, staying with someone that's internal in in this uh, coaching staff, someone that knows the strengths of Josh Allen isn't going to try to change things too much is a no-brainer, in my opinion. Where do you stand on that, Matt? Yeah, and I think the reports that I've seen on Dorsey going with Dable is that Dable would be interested in bringing Dorsey, and I don't blame him. Like, There's continuity there. He knows Brian's system. He's worked with a quarterback, and that's what Brian's going to be tasked with wherever he goes, whether it be New York or Miami or Chicago, all young quarterbacks that, you know, they're they're hiring Brian Dable to develop that person. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting as we move along here in the process and as, you know, Brian Dable eventually becomes a head coach, if that ends up being the case, there's going to be a lot on his plate, Ryan Talbot. Like, you know, it's one thing to come in and, you know, change a culture, right? Like Sean McDermott did. But what I think Sean McDermott did such a good job of, even though his specialty is on the defensive side of the ball, all of his experiences on that side of the ball, he came in and said, I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to go out and get a guy that I could trust to run my defense and Leslie Frazier, a former head coach that I don't have to kind of, handhold him at all I I can place my trust in him you know Rick Dennison didn't work out they pivoted right away they went to Brian Dable they brought him in here it was a innovative offense and you know they really found a guy that could come in here and build from the ground up with a young quarterback and from that perspective I think Sean's done a good job of being the CEO and operating at 30,000 feet and allowing those two guys to run their units and every time we've talked about it when when guys when when somebody tries to give Sean credit for one of those units he's quick to put the praise back on those two guys and rightfully so I think that's the a, a healthy way to run your operation for Dable, where it becomes a little bit more challenging, you look at the Sean McVeighs of the world, the Matt LaFleurs of the world, the Kyle Shanahan's of the world, and Shanahan is maybe a perfect example. He has not had nearly the amount of success that I think people were expecting him to have. I know he went to a Super Bowl, but outside of that, it's been very underwhelming. He's having a really nice run this year, and he's going to play in the, in the NFC title game, and who knows where that can go from there. Uh, so maybe changing uh you know, the narrative a little bit there, but when you have to call the plays and you have to develop the young quarterback and you have to be the CEO and you have to maybe handhold an offensive coordinator because they're running your system and you got to hope like heck that your defensive coordinator has things all buttoned up on the other side. You know, that's a lot to handle. And this is going to be Brian Dable's first head coaching job. And so I get why he would probably want to bring Ken Dorsey for that kind of continuity. But if I'm Ken Dorsey, Brian, I'm like, I'm not leaving an opportunity to be the offensive coordinator for, with Josh Allen. No, and why would you? Listen, Josh Allen was runner-up for MVP last year. Uh, he put together one of the greatest postseasons of all time in, in two games this this offseason. He proved that he was the real deal in the regular season back-to-back years. You go to the Giants, you're talking Daniel Jones at least for 2022, uh, and then it goes to maybe drafting another guy. Uh, if you go to Miami, you know, he has – 
there's some experience there, at least with Brian Dable with Tua. Uh, is that someone you really want to try to work with in terms of thinking that you can get anywhere close to that same level of play? The answer to that is no. Justin Fields is an intriguing prospect, but again, the, the, there's no sure thing there in, in terms of Fields being the next big thing. So if I'm Ken Dorsey and if I want to become a head coach someday and someday soon, I'm staying in Buffalo. I'm staying with uh, some of those Carolina connections that he had built when he was working with Cam Newton first and mm-hmm. foremost. And two, I'm staying with Josh Allen because Josh Allen right now is uh, the quote unquote, you know, the golden goose, so to speak. And if you you can keep getting the best out of him, you're going to find yourself in line for some head coaching jobs sooner rather than later. I want uh, I want to go. Uh, we're going to go along everything that happened in Brandon Bean's press conference today. We'll talk about all that. But this is something I want to hit on here. And Matthew says, you know, it, it pisses him off that coach McDermott not being more accountable for the botched uh, coaching. You know, John comes in and says exactly the media should push him harder. And I want to kind of cover this a little bit because I, I I tweeted a couple things yesterday after Sean McDermott's press conference, you know, where, you know, I, I agreed. I think that there's a big portion of the fan base that wants answers for how that happened. Because I think if you're talking about Sean McDermott's and, and a lot of people come back with that, that are very pushed back against like, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've seen this written places like, you know, McDermott's not doesn't need to be accountable to anybody, but those inside the building. I don't agree with that. I think he needs to be accountable to the fan base that, um, you know, he so glowingly talks about um, all the time that Brandon Bean talked about. And I think that in a lot of ways he is. And I think that this particular situation, listen, you want the media to to go about this a a different way, get maybe more um, adversarial. I get that. But he was asked, don't say that, that the media has to push him harder. He was asked six different ways, probably close to nine different ways between two press conferences about what happened in those final 13 seconds. And he just didn't want to go into the details of it. And there's only so many ways you can kind of go about this. And the vibe of the the press conference changes significantly after you kind of go down that path. And, and also, listen, I think that there's a, a certain level of decorum on, um, you know, I approach the job with, but I think there's also with Sean from Sean's angle, you know, he may be protecting somebody. Maybe Tyler Bass messed up. Maybe Heath Farwell messed up. Maybe Leslie Frazier messed up, who has a, a head coaching interview on Friday. And he doesn't want to get into the weeds of that. And even Brandon Bean didn't really want to go too far down that road uh, today, although he was a little bit more pointed about the fact that, you know, they didn't get the job done and they have to learn from it and be better in the future. But I, I don't think that there was a path to getting Sean McDermott to somehow you know, go into all of this. And and on a certain level, and I tweeted this as well, I do respect Sean for not throwing players or coaches under the bus. Definitely. But I also think when, when you want to kind of put it on yourself as a coach, if you want to take that bullet, take the bullet and, and say it was on you. And, you know, you messed up in that and communication wasn't where it needed to be. It definitely wasn't where it needed to be on the two defensive plays. And as I even asked them, you know, you had the two timeouts, you used them to set up your defense. Did you expect your players to kind of do a better job? And he kind of even ran away from that a little bit, other than to say that Tyreek Hill is a fast dude and you got to, you know, that, that speed is to be feared. And so th- there we are. Yeah. Listen, you know, Sean McDermott is very good at saying nothing. And I mean that in the highest regard, you'll ask him the same question, like you said, multiple times and he'll say, Oh, the execution just wasn't there. The execute, you know, but he won't get into the specifics of it. And at the same time, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll kind of be that counterpoint. 
what good does it do to throw someone under the bus? What good does it do at this point? They, they lost the game, plain and simple. You're, you're right. He probably should have come on and just said, listen, uh, you know, I'm the head coach of this team. It starts and ends with me. We didn't execute well enough at the end. Uh, that, that probably would have been a little bit more crystal clear in terms of or putting an end to it. But it doesn't change anything at this point. So there's, I don't see the point in, in pushing the matter at this, at this point in time. You can look back at the two defensive plays and say, why are they, they, you know, have four on the D line? Why aren't they dropping guys back? Why aren't there more in coverage? Why are you giving Tyree Kill such a, a buffer zone to have blockers in front of him? Yeah, you, you can question all of that. But like you said, Leslie Frazier has a head coaching interview. Tyler Bass has been great all season. Let's just say maybe he had something to do with it, uh, with it, the kickoff, or maybe it wasn't communicated to him what was supposed to happen. It doesn't do any good. And if anything, it could tarnish some of those relationships, uh, you know, now and in the future. So I, I'm fine with where it's at. They didn't at the end of the day, they just didn't do enough to win that game. Yeah. And I think like, you know, for as much as as coaching deserves a chunk of the blame for the whole 13 seconds debacle. And they do, I mean, across the board from the special teams angle to Sean to Leslie, all of them. And I wrote about this at the site. If you want to go read about it, um, it's up at the site. I kind of like deconstructed the final 13 seconds and I went back and watched it. And I thought, I think it kind of takes you through everything and what, you know, Sean was kind of thinking in certain spots, but you know, in a perfect world, they could play it back. I'm sure they would do a lot of things differently. And one of the things that Brandon talked about today was, you know, I think we get lost in sometimes the immediacy of all of this and we forget the context of, you know, and this is kind of something that I was alluding to after, after the game the other night is that this is still pretty early in the regime in a lot of ways. Like if you look at guys that have had a lot of success, I mean, Bill Belichick was on his third stop in new England before he, he was able to really kind of get into the dynasty of it all. You know, he was terrible in Cleveland. Um, he didn't even like stick around. He pulled a, uh, uh, who's the Josh McDaniels, right? I mean, yeah, the <laughs> apple doesn't fall, fall far, too far from the tree. And then Andy Reid is a perfect example. Listen, there's a lot of success in Philadelphia, but I would argue that there's been a lot of success for Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean in Buffalo. And I'll, I'll be as critical as anybody uh, of certain things. I'll be critical of what happened in that game. Sean McDermott has to be better of an in-game coach. He's got to learn from this. And this, this can't continue to be a storyline in year six, seven, eight. I mean, it's going to get, you know, the, the screws are going to get tightened a little bit when it comes to the criticism. But I do think you have to learn in these moments how to be better. And seeing it up close and personal, Ryan, the, the, the vantage point of the defensive coordinator, which is what he was in Carolina, safeties coach in Philadelphia and, and even defensive coordinator for, for a minute in, in Philadelphia is much different than the lessons you're going to learn over the first five years of your head coaching career. It just is different. And I think that, you know, there, there's going to be some pain in there, but I think it's important to remember the context of Sean McDermott, four playoff appearances in five seasons, three playoff wins, three and floor playoff record. Uh, three of those losses on the road, which is really tough to do. I mean, the Bills haven't won on the road since 1993. I mean, this isn't something that, you know, uh, any other coach has been able to come in here and do. So I think what they've built has been solid. They've, 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 they've built a solid foundation. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And if you're sitting here, you know, overreacting in the moment and saying, you know, the Bills should fire Sean McDermott. I mean, come on, let's, let's just simply get a grip here. I agree. It's almost like a, a lot of the stuff here is 
you you could put him on watch. I get that. But for what he's accomplished in these five years, to to go from where we were before the Chiefs game to fire McDermott, I just think is a little bit of an uh, overstep, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just, you know, the Andy Reeds and the Bill Belichicks of the world who took a longer period of time to finally win their first championship. It goes with quarterbacks, too. Josh Allen, you could argue, is ahead of schedule. You had Peyton Manning, who didn't win one until he was 29. Josh Allen is still in his mid-20s right now. Uh, there's definitely um, something to be encouraged about the fact that he's taken them to a championship game, that he had them on the cusp of a second championship game, despite being on the, on the road in a hostile environment. So you got to be, you know, it's it's hard to be patient when you know you have a roster like this and you know you could have gone to the big game this year. But I do think in a lot of ways the Bills are ahead of schedule too. Yeah, I just saw uh, who's saying that McDermott needs to be fired. Do not listen to local talk radio. <laughs> I popped it on <laughs> on the way home today, and there were some pretty egregious callers. One caller said uh, on WGR with uh, Geary and Bulldog today that um, – the Bills should fire McDermott and call Bill Belichick and offer him whatever it takes to come coach the Bills and give him a $10 million bonus if he wins the Super Bowl. The response from the host was all you needed in that moment. It was it was really uh, entertaining, actually. Um, speaking of entertaining, if you are entertaining this weekend, make sure you hit up tops from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. I mean, I know, I know the Bills Mafia still has a, a bad case of the blues, but you know, head over to Tops, get yourself stocked up for the weekend, invite a couple friends over. And wh- what do you think, Ryan? Do you think it, when your team gets eliminated, it's been a while since I've been in that chair? I mean, a real while. I mean, we're talking about like the '90s for the you know the the Music City Miracle game was the last time I had to worry about uh, my team. Uh, losing a playoff game and what I did after the fact. But are you are you watching football this weekend? I feel like if you're a football fan, there's no way you don't watch the games this weekend, right? Yeah, you're, you're definitely watching the games, you, you know, and you're probably begrudgingly watching the AFC championship game and mumbling and grumbling if you're a Bills fan, knowing that the team could have been there. But if you're a football fan, you're, you're certainly watching those games on Sunday. Um, here's a comment from Bob. When historic blunders like this have happened previously in sports, is always proved to be better to admit it ASAP. People forgive and forget quicker. When you say nothing, the curiosity only mounts. And I, I actually do think this is a, a very poignant point here from Bob in that, you know, for as much as the protection does apply here for whoever it is that McDermott may be protecting, it does kind of open the door to speculation all offseason as to, you know, who actually you know, was the one that made the mistake in this spot. And eventually it's going to come out. Like Tyler Bass is going to be interviewed. Heath Parlerwell is going to be interviewed eventually. Um, Leslie Frazier is going to be interviewed eventually. You know, if, if Lef- Leslie Frazier is hired as a, as a head coach, I think one of the first questions that local reporters, like if he gets hired in New York uh, for the Giants, the first question is going to be, what, the, what happened in that AFC uh, divisional round game against the Chiefs? And so this isn't go- necessarily going away. So I do agree with that, Bob. That uh, that could be potentially something that, you know, causes more problems than it's worth. And even if it is like Bass that made a mistake or Heath Barwell made a mistake, you know, it is what it is. There's a lot of good things that those two guys have done uh, over the course of this season. And I think it's just about sometimes accepting it. But I do I do respect not throwing a player in the bus. So it's like it's kind of this catch 22 damned if you do damned if you don't type of thing. 
Yeah, you you nailed it, Matt. I mean, there's nothing much more to add to that. You you don't want to affect relationships uh, with players. And even if it was a player that was leaving, hypothetically, and in this case, it's not. What does that do for free agency with in terms of players that might want to come in and they see, oh, man, you know, that coach threw that player under the bus at the end of the season. Do I really want to join a team like that? Right. You, you never want to do something like that in the NFL or in any sports for that matter, because then it gets a little bit harder to get those players that might be the missing piece. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. All right, let's get through some of this stuff from the press conference today. I thought, you know, the boogie comment was really interesting. You know, basically Brandon Bean said, he drafted Boogie Basham because he was there and he was sticking out on his board. And once he got on the roster, it was kind of a numbers game. It's like, all right, we got veterans, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, that were still going to be a big part of what they were trying to do this year. It was going to be tough to get him on the field week to week. And so he provided valuable depth. He had two and a half sacks. Basically what happened at the end of the day is he, he brought Boogie Basham in his, in his office for the exit interview. And he said, listen, don't prepare this offseason to, to try to earn a, a, a roster spot and a depth role, you know, a jersey on game day. I want you to go out and prepare like you're you're competing your your tail off to be a starter next year. He should absolutely prepare like that because they have a lot of veterans who are not under contract for 2022 uh, that might not be back. So he's going to have a real opportunity to, to crack that starting role. And listen, I know a lot of people look at that rookie year and say, oh, I was kind of a letdown. He was inactive a lot. He finished the season with sacks in back-to-back games, one against the Jets in Week 18, one against the Patriots in the wildcard round. And then earlier in the year in October, he had one and a half sacks over two games. Then he was inactive for about a month. So when he was out there, he was making some plays here and there. Now, was he consistent? Mm -hmm. No. Was was he someone that opposing teams were were fearing? No. But given the opportunities, three and a half sacks, including the one that he had in the playoffs, it's not a bad season con- considering he had what about 200 snaps this entire season, yep. Matt. Yep. I think that, you know, for a guy that, you know, and he mentioned and Arturo uh, remind me about that McKenzie, we're going to go to uh Starla Tule and Cole Beasley next skip ahead for a second, because I want to get to McKenzie too. it kind of all circles back. Ba- he mentioned Basham. He also mentioned Tommy Doyle as a guy that coming into the season, he was not ready to play like what they saw in preseason training camp you know, almost to the point where it probably was a struggle to get him on that 53 roster. Remember, we were talking about this throughout training mm-hmm. camp and being kind of admitted that today. He said the jump that he made from the start of the season to where he ended the season as part of that jumbo package and that extra lineman was massive. And so I think you saw that development for, for Basham as well, finishing with two and a half sacks, getting a little bit uh, of confidence in that department. And look, I mean, the pressure rate for Jerry Hughes was still really good, but he finished with the same amount of sacks. And that's, you know. It is what it is. Actually, it might have been, was it three sacks? I don't know. What, what was the final number for Hughes? Two sacks. So Boogie Basham yeah. had more sacks than uh, Jerry Hughes. That's that's troubling. We're going to get into this too, and this could be kind of a, a good transition point to Star and Cole and McKenzie and Jerry Hughes. First things first, Star Latula. Brandon Bean revealed that, you know, in his estimation, Star Latula was never the same after he got COVID. Uh, you know, a lot was made about him not being vaccinated, him missing a ton of time. I think he ended up missing three games in that stretch. He came back. He They really ramped him back up really slowly. We never really got a chance to talk to him during the season. He didn't do any media, and that was one of the downfalls of the COVID restrictions and all that. But 
He comes back. He wasn't the same player. And Bean even said, like, he was really good on tape. If you go back and watch from the Jets game to when he went out a week before uh, or the Dolphins game to the Jets game, he was maybe their most impactful, consistent lineman during that stretch. And when he came back, it just wasn't the same to the point where it allowed Harrison Phillips to kind of ascend and kind of kind of have his own breakout. So in a lot of ways, maybe that's beneficial to the Bills long term because, you know, you could probably get Harrison Phillips back on a pretty modest deal. Um, I wrote in the story that, you know, I think Star Latula is probably back next year just because what's the point of eating seven million in dead cap space unless you have a surefire way to replace what you'd be missing while you're still having to kind of, you know, foot that bill anyway. So my guess is that Latula comes back, but I do think it also comes down to how they feel about him. Availability is is so important to them and he wasn't available a ton this year and that you know, COVID maybe probably is out of the mix next year. You hope, fingers crossed, but that's something to consider. Yeah, real quick with Star, you know, vaccinated, unvaccinated, we've seen the players be affected different ways. I'm just going to compare it real quick to Deion Dawkins. We talked early this year, Matt, about how inconsistent Deion Dawkins looked out there and how much he struggled earlier in the year. It took him a while to ramp things back up and look like that Pro Bowl uh, left tackle that the Bills have had. And, and by the end of the year, he he was playing a, a strong brand of football. He looked great. Star Lazule, not vaccinated. He When he was out for those few weeks and he came back and they, they tried to get him back in, he never looked the same. I, mm-hmm. He had his moments. He made some splash plays. He, he broke through the line and, and had a, a pretty big sack, I believe, on Mac Jones in that playoff matchup. Um, so he, he flashed here and there, but the consistency wasn't there. So, you know, at the end of the day, the way that COVID impacts players, it, you don't know. Some players had no symptoms maybe and were back within a week. Others, uh, they're feeling it not short term and, or for multiple weeks at that. Jerry Hughes told Brandon Bean that he wants to play next season. I think Brandon Bean treated that with kid gloves a little bit. He didn't want to get too far down the road there because obviously bringing Hughes back is complicated because he's, he, he, he left this year making about between eight and nine million, uh, maybe even a little bit north of that. And, you know, coming back next year, I mean, you're not going to be able to hit anything close to that range to bring him back. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, the sack production has just dipped uh, over the course of the last four or five years pretty steadily. Um, and I know it's not just about sacks. And I know getting that kind of pressure is is important. But against a guy like Patrick Mahomes, I think like he's one, he's the one quarterback where I think the argument should be more geared toward quarterback hits are more valuable than pressure because he's. He's impervious to pressure. It doesn't matter to him. You know, he's so good in the pocket. He's so good at getting out of the pocket. That's the guy that you're going to have to beat. There's no way around it. I think you have to get guys that are more able to, even if it's, um, if the pressure rate dips, but there's more of a chance of, you know, those quarterback hit numbers. Look at some of those guys as you're starting to kind of put together your wish list of guys that you hope the Bills either target in free agency or maybe look at via trade. And I know that's something you're going to be handling over the next couple of days, Ryan is starting to earmark some of those guys. You know, I, I just don't think Jerry Hughes is going to be at that level anymore. 34 years next year, 34 years old next year. You know, if he wants to come back for a three, $4 million one year contract. Sure. I mean, that's the kind of deal that makes a ton of sense. Maybe you even do the veteran minimal and make it really incentive laden. That's an option to go at as well. But, you know, I think that there, you got to go out and try to make a splash at that spot. I know that, you know, Brandon Bean said he, you know, the key thing for me that he said when it comes to the defensive line is don't be surprised whatever we do to address that position because I'm always going to value the front and look to improve. And I think that there's improvements needed there still. 
Yeah, and listen, when you're when you're the Bills and you're going to be drafting in, in the uh, mid to late twenties in this draft, you're not going to get an impact player in the draft class. It, it takes time to develop players like that. So you're talking free agency, and I know Brandon Bean said he's not going to necessarily be a big spender there, but he might spend big on one player. You have to remember that they went after J.J. Watt, and at the end of the day, maybe they thought it was a, a little bit too much money uh, when, it, when it came to the case of Watt. At the trade deadline, they, they were in the mix for Von Miller. So he is serious about adding someone to the mm-hmm. uh, pass rush unit that can be an impact player. So that kind of leads me either to free agency, maybe there's someone out there, but I, I think the trade market might be a little bit better. You look at some of the teams, some of where they're at cap-wise. You look at a team like uh, the Saints, for instance. I know there, there's been articles that you know their, their cap situation is not as bad as it looks. They can make a few moves to save a lot of money. But your head coach just left. You don't have a quarterback. Why not tear that thing down for a year or two and really get yourself healthy? And, and in doing that, there's some players you could get rid of. Cameron Jordan, I know he's 32 years old, but he had 12 and a half sacks this season. That might be a player that, you know, Brandon Bean says, hey, if I, if I can get him for a, a mid-round pick, that's worth it. That uh, helps me on my defensive line. That helps me get after the quarterback a little bit. I, I like having a veteran presence in the room with a bunch of young guys that are developing. He might even bring something to, to the development of a Boogie Basham, to a Greg <laughs> Rousseau, to an A.J. Epinesa. Uh, and, and they need something like that. Jerry Hughes, it would have to be a team-friendly deal like you mentioned. You can't go out, break the bank on someone that that might be getting the pressures but isn't finishing the plays. And Brandon Bean, you know, he'll draw a line in the sand, so to speak, where he'll be like, we like him, but we like him at about this much money. So go out there, see what else is out there. And, and if he can get something better than that, by all means, you know, it's, it's the agent's job to give him the best deal possible. But uh, if he wants to come back, this is where we're at. Yeah, and there's some candidates, obviously, to open up some cap space, you know, and we're going to talk about one of those in Cole Beasley. Uh, if the Bills were to move on from him, that would open up $5.5 million, uh in cap space. Brandon Bean did something similar with John Brown last year. Uh, he seemed to be more in the camp of, com- of bringing back uh, Cole next year today. He said that he would anticipate Beasley being back, but let's not forget – He's always going to kind of keep that op, that door open for his guys. I mean, he said the same thing about LaShawn McCoy in 18, that he was a part of the plans all the way up until he wasn't because financially it just made too much sense to move on. And I remember still that day with the shock that, that overcame Bill's Mafia when they, when they cut him. And I thought that that was kind of in the cards all along, and it happened. And so I would not be surprised if they move on from Cole Beasley, especially with that kind of money. I also wouldn't be surprised if maybe the Bills go to a couple of these guys and say, listen, we want to bring you back. Maybe they give Cole Beasley like the the Mario Addison type of deal where, you know, uh, we give you – we we extend a, a year, that phony year for 2023 – bring down the cap number for 2022. They might be able to do something similar with Mitch Morris, kind of extend that thing out again. To be honest with you, Brian, I'd say Mitch Morris is, I'd go back to him and just try to rip up that deal and and put up together maybe a new three-year deal. I mean, the way he played this year, I think he should be firmly in your plans moving forward. And maybe you can kind of get a dip in 22, put a lot of that money in 23 when the cap is expected to balloon up a little bit more. 
Yeah, listen, Brandon Bean, the one thing that he's been very good at is the way he structures deals, the way that he has outs in deals. Uh, and when it comes to players already under the roster, uh, he's he's been pretty good at reworking deals, taking years off of contracts. Um, you know, so for instance, like Vernon Butler, this is his final year of his contract, whereas originally it was it was set to go an extra season. Um, he, he's he's good at all of that, so I wouldn't panic if I was a Bills fan or worry too much about that. Cole Beasley, Beasley specifically, he you know he's still a productive guy. Is he is he at the rate that uh, is he worth the amount of money that he's currently at? Maybe not after this past season. He took a little bit of a step back. You could find some pretty good slot receivers in the draft class. Maybe not necessarily stepping up in 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 having a huge impact right away to the the extent that we saw from Beasley's All Pro season. Uh, last year, not this uh, this past season, but at the same time, he is a, still a safety valve. You still need to keep in mind that Josh Allen needs as many weapons, or you should have as many weapons as possible for him. And Emmanuel Sanders is is you know, I I'm already looking at him as probably a retirement uh, option there. And, and you have to remember Isaiah McKenzie is a free agent, so you're, you're going to lose some guys. It doesn't hurt to bring a Cole Beasley back, especially if you can rework that deal. For McKenzie, it's going to be interesting because I think. In a lot of ways, you know, the Bills should want him back. I mean, I think it should be a priority to get him back, but I don't know if necessarily it will be, especially if Brian Dable moves on. And I wonder, you know, obviously getting McKenzie to kind of move with Dable makes a ton of sense. I think that his value outside of Buffalo is is higher than maybe it even is here. I think he was going to get more money. I think it was Detroit was one of the teams that was really interested in him in free agency or was offering more money, but he wanted to come back, try to you know run it back and win. I saw him walking off the field in one of the uh, video clips, and he looked really distraught, like a lot of them did, obviously. Um, I think he came back to kind of give it one more uh, run. But I think if if you can't bring him back and there's there's a good argument to be made that somebody's going to put the kind of value on McKenzie that he can't walk away from for a second time. It almost puts you in a bind to where I think you have to bring back Beasley unless you have a real plan for that slot. You know, one interesting thing, too, Ryan, with the development of Gabriel Davis, what would you think about this? What would you think about Stefan Diggs being kind of your primary slot guy as he kind of transitions into that second part of his career like I still think he's in his prime uh, but you got Gabriel Davis on the outside you have a young player in Isaiah uh, Hodgins who I think that Bill, some Bills fans want to see more of a Jay Kumro that you have faith in if you were to move on from Beasley and you don't bring back McKenzie what do you think about you know maybe Diggs make, maybe be more in that slot role it, it would be interesting uh, I think he would have a lot of potential mismatches in that role but like you said I, I still think he's in his prime I still think he's uh, a guy that defenses pay a lot of attention to. We saw that in the in the divisional round, the way that they they really uh, took Diggs out of the game, they took Dawson Knox out of the game, and that led to Gabriel Davis having that 201 yard outing. So, you, you know, maybe mixing it up and putting him in there from time to time. I don't know if I would necessarily want him in there at a full capacity, especially next season. Uh, at the cornerback position, the expectation is that the con- there's, there will be conversations between Levi Wallace. And the Bills, uh, Brandon Bean said that he wanted to talk. Uh, he's very interested in talking to Levi's representatives. If he wants to come back, he'll probably be in the mix. I don't think getting Levi Wallace back necessarily precludes the Bills from either A, drafting a cornerback or B, signing a quarterback, ju- cornerback just because there should be at least. And, and it seemed like Brandon Bean's comments there is 
you know, some level of concern that, okay, when is Trey White going to be back? When is he going to be ready? Is he going to be ready by week one? Is he going to be the same guy early and, you know, coming off an ACL injury? It's always kind of, you know, um, sometimes it takes a little while to get back to full 100%. If you don't have full all systems go Trey White, especially at the early part of the next season, you kind of got to um, prioritize the cornerback position, don't you? Yeah, you know, it's too early to to guess what the Bills are going to do in the draft, but I think cornerback is going to be one of those positions that get addressed in round one or round two. I, I just think that uh, with a, a deal like you have in Trey White getting paid top dollar, having someone that could be cornerback number two for a few years uh, on a rookie contract makes a lot of sense. Having a guy on a rookie contract that can compete with Levi Wallace if he's brought back makes a lot of sense. You want to have the depth. You want to have the talent to make, you know, to continue to make those runs deep into the playoffs. And and Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace, they stepped up at late in the season when they were needed. But against a team like the Chiefs, that's really tough. I'll give the Bills a lot of credit. The one position that I think they've been done a really good job of developing over the years is the secondary, the cornerbacks specifically. Uh, John Butler's done a really good job there with guys like Levi Wallace, Cam Lewis, um, Dane Jackson. And there, there's some young guys on this roster that intrigue me, like a Nick McLeod. I'm not saying he's going to come in and, and compete for the number two cornerback job or anything crazy like that, but the Bills need some speed on that defense. And I, if I remember correctly, he ran about a 4-3-7, 4-3-8 at the Notre Dame Pro Day. He has the speed. It was just more so about the way that he played the ball. If the, that can be taught to him, if he can work in that area, he could be a factor next year in terms of playing time. You could mm-hmm. bring in a free agent. They have some guys on this roster they like. They made sure to get him, McLeod specifically, back on this roster as soon as the Bengals released him uh, after they had poached him from Buffalo. So there, there are some talented players here already, but you can never have too many cornerbacks in the NFL. Yeah, if anybody would know um, Notre Dame player measurables or combine <laughs> uh, pro day numbers, I would expect it to be you. I do agree, though. I, I I would like to see a little bit more McLeod, especially in the preseason next year. You know, one of the things too is like with Trey White kind of having a slow go of it. You're pro- and and probably want to be a little bit careful with whoever you bring in high profile uh, to play alongside either Levi or Dane or any combination of those guys. You're gonna probably want guys like Nick McLeod and. Elijah Griffin to play a little bit more. And so maybe you'll see them in a little bit more higher profile spots. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on Facebook, thank you, Facebook family. We appreciate you. If you're on YouTube, smash that like button. Like Brandon Bean is going to smash that option for Ed Oliver's fifth year in a couple, you know, months, probably. Right. I mean, the, the deadline is in May. There's no way that that fifth year option is not going to be picked up, Ryan. First of all, Matt, we're kind of in the offseason now, but your transitions are not in the off. You are in prime transition mode tonight. Smash that <laughs> like button. Like, oh, that was good. That was good, Matt. Yeah, no, it, it's a no-brainer. I know there was an op, uh, there was an article from Mark Ross, NFL Network, uh, where he said I wouldn't sign him to a, to a fifth-year option. I wouldn't extend it to him. That's crazy talk. He was the most consistent defensive lineman this year for the Bills. Uh, you saw flat, more than flashes. You saw a consistent uh, defensive tackle that was bursting through the line, making plays in the backfield, getting pressures. Uh, he did it even against the Chiefs once or twice in the run game specifically. Mm-hmm. He was really, really good all season long. 
Uh, and it's funny. We looked back and said, yeah, if the Bills are going to have a great season this year. You need Dawson Knox and Ed Oliver to step up. And both of them did in big time ways. So it, there's no doubt in my mind that Ed Oliver is being uh, is going to have that fifth year option given to him or put on him, put on his, you know, added on to his deal, I guess is the best way to put it. There, there's no doubt in my mind. I did look it up, by the way, four, three, seven for McLeod. So he does have some speed to his game. But Oliver, yeah, you want to have those pieces in. And we just talked, Matt, the Bills, they have a lot of defensive linemen in general that are going to come off the books this season. So you want to keep those the guys that you have that you think are difference makers as long as possible until you can work out a long-term deal. And Ad Oliver is one of those difference makers. You know what's the difference maker? When you get to the store and they got the hookup. If you're hosting a large party this weekend check out tops huge selection of party platters for a delicious effortless affordable no stress way to impress for complete details stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy foodball that'll do it wrapping up the 2021 season it has been so amazing you guys all the participation in all these shows that we do all the time uh we're going to get guest heavy here uh over the next couple months starting to kind of put some feelers out there for some fun guests that we want to have, um, you know, training camp preseason season. It's, it's going to be a lot more focused on the analysis. We want to bring you guys the specific bills talk from myself and Ryan. We'll, we'll kind of, you know, inner, uh, you know, sparse uh, in some, some guests along the way, but you know, in the off season is when we can really kind of uh, go outside the box. And uh, it's been such a fun season, Ryan. Yeah, you know, obviously not the way anyone wanted it to end, but uh, it was a fun season. Great, you know, great time doing this shout podcast with you. Can't thank the Bills Mafia enough for their support, both for the live viewing audience and those that uh, download the episodes either later tonight or first thing in the morning. Do it on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all your audio platforms. You could always uh, subscribe there as well. And if you miss any part of the live show, come in late, have to leave early. You can always download it. Uh, it's it's up online uh, within an hour. Thank you for so much for watching. We will see you next Wednesday. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.